In the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We continue our study in First Samuel. Well, we have seen recently that the dynamic between David, the prophet, and Saul, the king, has been changed significantly. Saul has seen David as his enemy. He started to go after him to kill him. And what we have seen so far is David acting in such a na naive way. He doesn't see Saul as a bad person trying to kill him. Even though Saul tried to kill him a couple of times with a spear. And recently we saw that David ran away to Samuel the prophet, last chapter. And when Saul kept sending soldiers to bring David, all the soldiers started prophesying. And when Saul eventually went, he also continued to prophesize. So last scene we have seen is that Saul the prophet, so Saul the king, David the prophet, Samuel, they're all in a very holy place. Everybody's praying, everybody's prophesizing. And we said that this was a miraculous way of how God saved David the prophet. Now, we have been obviously talking very highly of David the prophet. He's a truly a beautiful man. But we're going to start seeing a small shift in his life. Up to this point, David depended completely on God. Now he's going to start slightly depending on his own abilities. And we will see how this will play a role in his life. So far, God has miraculously saved him multiple times because he's been acting in a pure way. And I think sometimes we think that God might run out of options. There's no way he's going to save us miraculously every time. So we start deciding to manipulate and take evil actions thinking that this is the right way. So let's get a, see what happens. So last scene, Saul, Samuel, David were all prophesizing. Now it looks like David fled. So then David fled from Naoth in Ramah and went and said to Jonathan, what have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? So what Jonathan did after he ran away from the, from, from the Ramah, where, where Samuel was, he ran to his friend Jonathan. Jonathan has been so nice to David, right? He's been his best friend. But he started almost, David started almost getting his anger on Jonathan. Told him, what have I done? What is my iniquity? Why is your dad trying to kill me? It looks like David started slightly to allow himself to be fought by these thoughts. Jonathan hasn't done anything to him. Jonathan loved him. Jonathan always been with him. He came obviously to Jonathan, his friend, which is a good thing because he's his best friend. He can vent with him. But I'm just talking more about David. David the prophet once again, at this point, he started a bit to start looking at things from a worldly way. What have I done? He could have looked at all the miracles that God has been doing with him so far. 
that God just saved you from three groups of soldiers that want to try to kill you. He could have went and celebrated what God is doing in his life. But he went to Jonathan, which is fine also, and he, he opened his heart to him. I want to guys tell you something about this quickly. In every action, there is different levels of behavior. And they are all within the commandments. For example, if I am struggling with somebody, the ideal, the most beautiful, is to forgive and forget. Forgive and forget. Forgive and you remember, it doesn't count. Okay? Now, the second action, maybe say, well, I can't forgive. Then Jesus said, go talk to him. Go talk to her. What if we can't work it out? Well, find a mediator. What if we can't find a buna? All these are within the levels of the command. Same thing with David here. He had different options. One option, he could have just thanked God for saving him from Saul in a, very, in a miracle. A miracle just happened to him. But he ran to Jonathan to vent and to try to talk about the problem, which is also not a bad option, but it's not the ideal. It's not the top. All within the level of acceptable communication as the children of God. So all I'm telling you this because I don't want you to feel like I don't hit the highest mark, then I am not doing the commandments of God. No. All these are acceptable path within the commandments of God. So Jonathan said to him, By no means you shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing, either great or small, without first telling me. And why should my father hide these things from me? It is not so. So Jonathan seems like also he's a very simple. David is naive. Jonathan is naive. Elitin, very naive. But Jonathan told him, no, 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 this is not going to happen. My dad doesn't do anything without telling me. And my dad have not told me that he's going to kill you. Taban, Jonathan, in, in his simplicity, is comforting David. Even though what Jonathan is saying is illogical. Then Jonathan have seen his father telling them, I want to kill David. But in his nativity, in his purity, it doesn't register yet in his mind. It doesn't eh, register yet in his mind. By the way, this verse that Jonathan is saying, if you open Amos 3.7, there's a, there a shadow for that verse. It says, Surely the Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secrets to his servants, the prophets. The Bible says that God doesn't do anything without revealing his, ser his secrets to his servants, the prophets. People who are close to God God works with them in a mysterious way. Then David took an oath again and said, Your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. You know, it's interesting every time you read David and Jonathan specifically. Every few minutes you see them, they're making a covenant. They're taking an oath. They're making a covenant. You almost get tired of it throughout the whole way. But the idea here, it's a continuous renewal. Why? 
because it's a continuous assurance of the bond between them. Continuous assurance of the bond between, a, between them. And I'll give you guys an example. Obviously, most of you are young. But for example, some of, some of the writings of the father encourages the husband, for example, to assure his love to the wife every day. And one of the monastic fathers said, you should kiss your wife every time you leave the house. It's a reassurance of the love between them. Love must continuously be reassured. God doesn't tell you, I love you, and leaves you. Every period you find grace, you find new words, you find new ways to pray to God, you find new miracles in your life, you find new forgiveness, you find new mercies in your life. You learn something new that kind of opens new doors for you to pray to God. Every a while, God renews and assures your love to him. Every time Jonathan sees David vulnerable, he says, let's take an oath. Let's make a promise. Let's eh, take an oath. Let's make a promise. In certain situations in our life, people in front of us needs a continuous reassurance. Needs a continuous eh, reassurance. David here is responding to Jonathan though. Jonathan told him, Dad won't do anything without telling me. What is Jonathan telling him? Well, Dad knows how much you love me. So he probably, if he wants to kill me, he's not going to do it so he doesn't sadden you. He's going to do it behind your back. He's going to do it eh, behind your back. Honestly, I'm not going to lie to you, but when I look at this uh, verses, I really appreciate how Jonathan and Saul talk about, how Jonathan and David talk about Saul. A lot of times people come and say we have an issue between, distinction between judging and venting or talking about our problems. This is a perfect example. None of them insulted Saul. None of them accused him of different intention than the facts. They never said Saul is evil, what is he doing? None of this stuff. It's all talking about a situation and how can we deal with it. A situation and how can we deal with it. The other thing I want to tell you also is even though David is spiritually considered to be strong, he just came from a beautiful retreat with Samuel the prophet. But even though he's very strong spiritually, he's still very vulnerable. And he's still worried and he still feels that he needs to go get help. And sometime in our spiritual life, if we don't live an authentic life with our true self, we struggle a lot. I could be spiritually strong and I could be struggling with somebody. And I could be trying to get solutions. And I could be trying to find ways to solve the problem. That does not make me less spiritual. So Jonathan said to David, whatever you desire, whatever eh, you desire, I will do. Basically, when Jonathan saw that David is a bit heated in the conversation, I, I don't, 
like, you know, when we read a passage from the Bible, if you want to add noises to it or volume to it, it will make more sense, right? So if David comes and tells him, what have I done? Why is your dad trying to kill me? Okay, and John says, no, 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 don't worry. That, 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 that doesn't do it without telling me. And David tells him, no, he's not going to tell you, obviously, because he doesn't want to make you sad. This is kind of the, the volume that they're talk, talking with. So then Jonathan, very smart, he told him, what is it that you want? This question is extremely important. When you see somebody angry and you cannot contain them, stop for one minute and ask them, what is it that you want? Because it's very easy for people to attack others, to talk about the past, but to ask them what they want, it makes them think for one minute. It's so easy, for, the, for by the way, for anybody to criticize any system. But to come up with their own system of belief, it's the hardest thing. That's why here he told him, what is it that you want? It's a good question. It's a good question. It's a, also a question for us. That if God comes and tells you, whatever you want, I will do. What would we say? Look what David said. And David said to Jonathan, Indeed, tomorrow is the new moon. And I should not fail to sit with the king to eat, but let me go that I may hide in the field until the third day at evening. So what's happening here? In the ancient Israel, there were a feast called the new moon. In the beginning of every uh, month, the first days of the month, it was a joyous occasion. You will see this in Numbers 10, 10 and 28, 11. And people actually used to offer burnt offering. So what happens is the moon would appear so clear in the western sky at sunset. And people actually have a festival at the beginning of the month. Now, the key thing is nobody knows how long it would take for the moon festival. It could take two or three days because you don't know when the moon will be fully apparent. So it used to be a festival. They will burn. They will offer. They will offer a burnt offering, and then the king will sit with all his leaders on a table to eat. So obviously, David is the king's son-in-law. He married his daughter, so he's expected to be at the meal. So David is scared because he said, "If I go to that dinner, the king might kill me, and it'll be a problem." So he told Jonathan, "Look, tomorrow is the feast, and I'm gonna hide in the field." I'm going to hide where? In the field. I'm going to hide in the field, and he's going to tell Jonathan exactly what to do. I just want to explain one idea quickly. When he's telling him tomorrow is the feast, he doesn't mean tomorrow like to. So in the Jewish time, day, in the, Jewish time the day starts from sunset. So if him and Jonathan is having this conversation at 1 p.m., for example, tomorrow could be tonight, at night. After 6 p.m. is the night. So he's telling him, tomorrow means probably tonight, I'm going to hide in the field. Okay? David will hide in the field until Jonathan tell him if he's safe or not. So he tells him, if your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly ask permission of me that he might run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. Look, here is David is encouraging his friend to lie. And he's also lying. 
He's not going to have a festival with his family. There's no, nothing planned. He's going to hide in the field and telling Jonathan, lie to your father. And that's when I was telling you earlier, this is a chapter where David sli slightly started taking matters in his own hands. Once you find yourself justifying lies, justifying things that you wouldn't usually do, you have to be careful. Now I'm depending on my own self. You're going to tell me I'm going to lose. Yes, you will lose. But you will keep God by your side. And he will miraculously save you like he saved David from Goliath. He saved him from Saul the last time. If he says thus, it is well, your servant will be safe. But if he is very angry, be sure that evil is determined by him. So basically, Jonathan told him, look, David told him, look, you guys are going to sit at night. I'm going to be hiding in the fields. When you're eating, if David misses me, uh, if Saul misses me, then I'll come. If he's angry and he's showing that he wants to kill me, then let me know so I could run away. Therefore, you shall deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant with, of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there's any iniquity in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? So what is David telling him? David telling him, look, you're going to sit with your father at night, doing dinner, and you're going to talk. And if you see your father angry, then it means he wants to kill me. Now, if your father gives you good reason why he should kill me, then you yourself come kill me. Because why should you even need to bring him to the father? If I did something wrong, you should come and kill me. Okay? But Jonathan said, Far it be from you, for I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon you. Then would I not tell you? So Jonathan com comforted him, told him, Look, if I truly know there is any evil coming at you by my father, I will tell you. So Jonathan agreed to David's plan. I want to tell you guys something about Jonathan. Jonathan has not committed a single sin yet in the Bible. And this is probably the weakest point. He loved David so much and he wanted to try to comfort him and calm him, calm him down that he agreed on a lie. The intention are good and the heart is good, but the method is wrong. The method is wrong and that doesn't justify it. So then, so David said to Jonathan, who will tell me? Or what if your father answers you roughly? So David obviously is very worried. He told him, okay, if, if Saul is angry at the table, who's going to tell me? If you come out and tell me, Saul will know. And he's going to bring soldiers and catch me. How, how would you know? So look at what happened. And Jonathan said to David, come, let us go out into the field. So both of them went out into the field. Jonathan, master at calming David down. David, again, think about the volume. David's telling him, who's going to tell me? Are you going to tell me? What if your father's angry? So Jonathan told him, okay, okay, calm down, okay? Let's go out to the field. Let's go have some coffee, have some, some tea. Calm down, man. Everything will be fine. This is, by the way, such a wise action from Jonathan. 
Sometimes when you notice the person in front of you angry, 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 it is dangerous to keep them speaking. Dangerous for you, dangerous for them. Because when they speak while they're angry, they might make more mistakes. And then, if you continue to hear them while they're angry, eventually you yourself could lose your peace. So when you find somebody angry, tell him, eh, wait until you calm down, and then let's talk. Obviously, they can't stand that when you ask somebody to do this, because they're angry. But it is the most beneficial thing to them at this moment. Because they're going to sit by themselves and feel that their anger is rejected, is not accepted. And what Jonathan did was extremely wise. My advice to all of us, do not hang around when people are angry. Don't hang around when people are angry. Actually, I remember His Grace Bishop Yusuf of Southern Rice, in one of the lectures he gave to the clergy, he mentioned this point. He said, sometimes somebody will call you and they're very, very angry, screaming. He said, it's not good to listen when somebody's angry. Or to hang up, and when you calm down, call. He told us one time, a clergy called him and told him, Sayyidina, I want to talk to you, but please listen, because I'm going to get all, my, all what's in my heart, and I'm, 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 very, like, yani, I'm, I'm, I'm very angry right now. Sayyidina told him, no, please calm down, and then calm him. But it's very important for us that when I see somebody angry, I know how to diffuse the situation. Should not continue to hear an angry person. Then Jonathan said to David, The Lord God of Israel is witness. When I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow, or the third day, and indeed there is a good toward there is good toward David, and I do not send to you and tell you. So basically, Jonathan telling him, Look, I'm gonna make you a promise. The Lord of God of Israel is my witness. When I have sounded out my father sometimes tomorrow or third day, so when I speak with my dad tomorrow or the day after, I will let you know whether he has anger against you or not. I will send you a messenger. I will send you a, a messenger. Uh, St. Ambrose said, David trusted Jonathan, a man of goodwill, even though he foresaw Saul's intention more clearly. And David, it seems like he understood what Saul is trying to do more than Jonathan. But he trusted Jonathan in love for him, for David. And obviously, the Jonathan doesn't know how long the feast will take. Is it two days or three days? He told him in the second or the third day. May the Lord God do, do so, so and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I will report it to you and send I reported to you and send you away that you may go in safe and the Lord will be with you as he has been with, uh, with my father. So this is an oath formula. He told him, and the Lord will do to Jonathan so and so. And he says it in the third person. This is very common. He told him, I promise you, if anything happens, I will tell you. If, if, if I don't tell you, God is my witness. He will do to me whatever he wants to do to me. It's almost like, you know, causing upon himself, inviting upon himself curses if he doesn't follow what he promises David. But then he told David something beautiful. He told him, the Lord is with you 
as he has been with my father. Here, Jonathan is comforting David. He told him, at the end of the day, God is with you. Regardless of my own action, our own oath, God has been working with you in so many different ways. And sometime when we remember this, it helps us to feel some peace in our life. When we forget the times that God worked in our life. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die. Jonathan told David, he told him, hey, look, at, I'm going to read verse 15 and explain to you. But you shall not, not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. What is Jonathan telling him? Jonathan telling him, I know God is with you. You will be a king. And I'm asking you to be nice to me and nice to my children after me. Because it was very common, obviously, when a new king comes, he kills the family of the kings before him. So Jonathan didn't only tell him that God is with you. He's telling him that God already revealed to you that he wants you to be a king. So why are you worried so much? Why are you worried eh, so much? Here, Jonathan is comforting David in a way beyond imagination. You know, there is a difference between love of loyalty, like I feel a sense of loyalty to a person, and love that makes me okay that the person next to me could be better than me and I could help them. Jonathan should be the next king. He's a son of Saul. But he already saw with his own eyes that God is preparing David to be a king. He accepted it. And not only accepted it, he loved David. Not only he loved David, he comforted him. He strengthened him. This is, by the way, you will see this uh, later on in the, in the scripture. When Jonathan and Saul dies, David will show a lot, of great, a lot of love to the son of Jonathan after his death. So again, so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, let the Lord God require it at the house of David's enemies. So it's Jonathan telling him, if you don't take care of my children, whatever God will do to your enemies will do to you. It's an oath. Every two minutes they make an oath. And all these things are obviously also comforting to David. He sees that Jonathan believes it. Everybody around him believes it, that he will be the king. All of these things will comfort him. And by the way, one of the things that helps us in difficult time is to stay oriented stay focused on what the goal is what God wants from you because when I allow myself to get distracted left and right what happens is I can fall to anything and I could get overwhelmed quickly and I could feel weak and I could feel as if I am an easy target of everything but when I'm focused on the goal and I'm oriented I have a strong resilience, I have a strong will, I have a strong plan, I have a strong confidence. Here, Jonathan is reorienting David to 
what God has for him. Now Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. This is beautiful that a person, you know, they always tell you the only person that wants you to be better than, than him or her is your parents. We haven't seen in the scripture a love like this between two people who are almost competing for the same position, David and Jonathan. And the characteristic of love is that I want the person I love very successful. And Jonathan said to David, tomorrow is a new moon and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. And when you have stayed three days, go down quickly and come to the place where you hide on the day of the deed and remain by the stone Ezel. So there is, a, there is certain places, obviously, Jonathan and David are close friends. So they used to play together, they used to train together, they used to hang out together. So he told him, you know, there's a place that you hide behind, a stone called Ezel or the stone of the way. He told them, hide by the stone. Hide by the stone. And he's telling him, when the next day comes, obviously in the Jewish time, you used to have six working days and the Sabbath. When they have holidays, the holidays are also off. So he's basically telling him in the next business day. Okay? So hide until eh, the next business day. So he's telling him, hide and remain there. Then I will shoot three arrows on the side, as though I shot at a target. So Jonathan told him, after I have a conversation with dad, you're hiding in the stone in the back, I'm going to shoot arrows as if I'm training. This is their secret code, okay? Um, obviously, he doesn't want to shoot one single arrow because it's going to sound suspicious. He wants us to shoot more than one to show like he's training. And there I will send the lad saying, go and find the arrows. If I expressly say to the lad, look, the arrows are on the side of you, get them and come, then the Lord lives, there is safety for you and no harm. But if I say thus to the young men, look, the arrows are beyond you, go your way, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter which you, ha you and I have spoken of, indeed the Lord be between you and me. So what is their secret sign? Jonathan told him, look, I'm going to come in the morning, I'm going to throw three arrows where you're hiding. I'm going to tell the lad, go get the arrows. If I tell the lad, go get the arrows and come to me, then it means you're safe. If I tell him, hurry, 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 it means run, run, run. Because my dad is going to come and kill you. This is the secret code between David and Jonathan. And I told him, I promise you, this is what's going to happen. All this, David obviously trusts Jonathan so much. He's putting his life in the hands of Jonathan. Then David hid in the fields. And when the new moon had come, the king sat down to eat the feast. So this is exactly what's expecting. David is sleeping in the field outside and he's used to sleeping outside because he's used to take care of the sheep. Now the king sat on his seat and at the other, as the other times on a seat by the, by the wall and Jonathan arose and Abiner sat at, by the soul's side but David's place was empty. Obviously Abiner is the head of the army so he has to sit next to the king. And, 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 and uh, Jonathan was sitting there when he says, like stood next to Jonathan. This is stood means he's just like sitting next to him. And then the seat of David is empty. And even though he is the king's son-in-law. Nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day. For he thought something has happened to him. He's unclean. Surely he's unclean. What does that mean? I told you that the feast of the new moon. They used to offer sacrifice. 
So Saul's first thought said, David is not here, probably on the way, maybe he touched a dead animal. He did something that made him unclean. So whenever you become unclean, you cannot come and join the meal. You cannot come and join the sacrifice. So he said, you know, probably he just couldn't make it today because he became unclean. This is the justification he gave in his head. And obviously you can see this in Leviticus 7.20 and Numbers 9.6. And many of the old books, uh, the, 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 the laws of Moses talks about the Feast of the Moon. And it happened the next day. So I'll tell you the Feast of the Moon could take two, two or three days. The second day of the month that David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has the son of Jesse not come to eat either yesterday or today? Second day, Saul was suspicious. Yesterday, maybe he was unclean. What about today? Why he did not come? St. John Chrysostom said something beautiful. He said, by Saul referring to David as son of Jesse, Saul attempted to diminish David's glory by putting his low birth on display. You know, Je Jesse was a very poor guy. So he's saying, what is that son of Jesse? You know, he could have said, what is David, the soldiers, the killer of Goliath? He could have said something else. But he said, what is that? You know, this is what Saul is saying. Taban, his language expresses what is in, heart, in his heart. And maybe, all of you guys, maybe you notice this with your family. When, when, da when dad or mom, everything's okay, they maybe call you by your nickname. Okay? When you do something wrong, they'll call you by your first name. You know, there's something wrong. You know, this is serious. The language of how the people call you reflects what's on your heart. So Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. This is the lie they agreed on. And he said, please let me go, for our family has a sacrifice in the city, and my brother, and my brother has commanded me to be there. And now if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore, he has not come to the king's table. Obviously, a family feast is a yearly gathering. So it was held once a year. So the excuse they give Saul is a good excuse. Okay? And, and, and Jonathan acted exactly as, as, as David asked him. Then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan. And he said to him, listen to this. Saul told Jonathan, you are a son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother nakedness? If you want to translate this, this is a big sentence of curse to Jonathan. He cursed him by his, mo by his mother. He cursed him by himself. He's basically telling him, you are stupid. You are rebellious. I know that you have chosen to be friend with David over protecting your own kingdom. Here he's telling him these are tough words to insult his own son in front of everybody on the table. And when someone like Saul is full of evil, he can easily turn even against people that whom he loves. Evil has no limits. Evil has, a, has no limit. We know even in the story, for example, of many emperors in the Roman Empire, some emperors have killed their, their, mo their mothers, their fathers, their wives. Evil has no limit if left unchecked. 
For as long as the son of Jesse lives on earth, he shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Now therefore send me and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Here is a big problem. What is the problem? Samuel already told Saul that your kingdom is over. You no longer will be king. Already told him that. But Saul did not believe Samuel, the one who brought him to the place where he is. And he thought that he could use his human ability to protect his kingdom. Sometimes we forget our beginnings. And after God brings us to good place in life, this, by the way, will happen also with David. We start, we start distrusting the main sources that brought us where we are. I've experienced, for example, how integrity, how honesty, how hard work makes a difference in my life. And then I start to pick up some random things, some random ways where people want to make easy money and forget the value of life and the real meaning of success and the mean meaning of value-added work so I could make more money. And I forget from where I have started. I remember, for example, when I started my beginnings with God, I used to take a lot of spiritual retreats to, to build myself up. When I get older, it's only vacations. I forget the beginnings from where I've started. Here, this is what's happening with Saul. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, Why should he be killed? What has he done? And Jonathan here is protesting. It's taking, obviously, a lot of courage for Jonathan to speak this way to his father, King Ben Saul, cast a spear at him to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. Can you imagine? Saul was going to kill his own son. This is what anger does. This is what anger does. Can lead people to things they have never ever expected to do. That's why His Holiness Pope Shunda used to say, do not ever make a decision in rush or in anger. Usually they are not decisions of God, they are decisions of the devil. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food for the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. Can you imagine, Jonathan, he got up and he was angry for who? For David. He wasn't angry that his, his father tried to kill him. He was worried about his brother, David. He was also probably shocked from the way his father acted, but his heart was fully concerned about David. And what did he do? He did not eat, almost fasted, for the sake of his friend. It is beautiful when sometimes people come and tell me, Buna, I know somebody is struggling. Would you allow us to fast and pray on their behalf for a couple of days without them knowing? This is true love. Without them even knowing, I am fasting and praying. Harder than giving money 
It is an active humiliation of my own soul for the sake of those who need. And so it was in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field at the time appointed with David and a little lad was with him. This is what they agreed on next morning day. Then he said to his lad, now run, find the arrows which I shoot. And as the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. This is what they agreed on. So I'm going to shoot the arrows. And uh, the, the Jonathan shot the arrows way beyond the lad. When the lad had come to the place where the arrow was which, was, was, was which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried out after the lad and said, is not the arrow beyond you? And told him, the arrow is way beyond you. And Jonathan cried out after the lad, make haste, hurry, do not delay. So Jonathan lad gathered up the arrows and come back to his master. This is exactly the, the plan between David and Jonathan. He told him, he, he, he shot the arrows way beyond the servants. He told him, run, 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 make haste, hurry, don't delay. This is the, the secret language between David and Jonathan. But the lad did not know anything. Only Jonathan and David knew of the matter. I'll tell you guys uh, a beautiful story about secret language. Secret language between friends is actually a good idea to use. I had one time uh, one, of, one of the priests I know very well. He told me that yani, him and a couple of, maybe him and his wife and a couple of people close by, sometime they found themselves maybe falling into the sin of judging. So they had a key word. And the key word is how is the Orbon? <laughs> so basically every time Somebody will be making a statement of judgment. One of them will be like, how is the Orban today? Okay? To do what? To try to remind themselves of, we are judging, let's catch ourselves. So secret language or actually between friends could be very helpful. Could be a very helpful. It helps me and my friend to remind. And if I love my friend, I will truly be like Jonathan and David pushing each other to make promises to be with God. To make promises to get closer to God. But the lad did not know anything, only Jonathan and David knew of the matter. Then Jonathan gave his weapon to his lad and said to him, go carry them to the city. So Jonathan wanted to get rid of the lad, told him, hey, take my weapons, goodbye, leave. Now as soon as the lad had gone, David arose from a place toward the south, fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and they wept together, but David more so. Look at this scene. After Jonathan let the lad run, it seems like Jonathan and David could not let each other leave without greeting each other. So David, after he saw what Jonathan has done with him, he couldn't take it. It's like, wow. I have such an amazing, amazing friend. He bowed down to the floor three times. An act of respect, an act of loyalty, an act of, wow, I'm so embarrassed of your love. And then they started crying, and David more than Jonathan. I'm sure in David's mind, where would I ever be able to find a friend like Jonathan? Where would it ever be find a spiritual friendship like this? I remember a long time ago, 
in one of the states يعني, I, I used to serve in, we had a very nice group of friends, very, very nice group of friends. And they were, you know, we used to pray together, encourage each other. And all of a sudden, within like a few months, everybody's leaving. Everybody's going to different states. And like our head servant came and told us, this is common in life, where God will bring few people together, strengthen each other, and then let them leave to go to do their own work in separate places. This is what happened with David and Jonathan. If you have a spiritual friendship today, use it. Take advantage of it. Plan with it. Spend time taking uh, books to read together, holy discussion, go to spiritual people, talk with them. Use it while you can. Because at some point, you might not find it. At some point, you might not, uh, not find it. And obviously, David at this moment was probably thinking about how would I live without Jonathan. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, May the Lord be between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and departed, and Jonathan went to the city. Here he told him, even though physically we'll be separated, but God will continue to give us together. Sometimes when you meet people who have uh, the same spirit, you feel you can connect with them right away. Even though physically we'll be separated, but God will continue to bring us together. And this friendship that we have made will continue to be from generation to generation. Why? Because this friendship is not based on what I like and what he likes. It's not like we like to go to the malls, we like to eat sushi, we like, you know. No, this is not what this friendship is about. This friendship is built on something much more deep and much more intimate. That's why it can last for many years. It is something that what can last from, a, from generation to generation. Hopefully, kid, all of us, as we, as we kid, uh, maybe tonight kid, uh, reflect on our own life, let's reflect on who are the spiritual friends that God put in our life. And how can we, the spiritual friend could be my sister, could be my family member, could be my friend, and how can we utilize it more in a way that makes us get a grow together more for the time that God gave us for that friendship before we move on with our life and glory be to God forever and ever.